0: That's Debatable is sponsored by MBG. MBG are specialists in the esoteric world of vehicle and furniture warranty insurance, delivering quite marvellous customer service, prompt claims payment, and a highly developed understanding of how to deliver these products in a way that is both compliant with the regulations and attractive to customers. And welcome to That's Debatable, the weekly news podcast of the Free Speech Union. How are you doing, Ben? I have an absolutely monstrous
1: cold, actually, Tom. Um, so oh dear! I, I'm, I'm labouring under considerably uh, ill health, but it, oh it does—it changes the way I speak, and it, it does mean that because I'm so nasal I can do what I call my brief encounter accent, where I speak <laughs> rather like this. <laughs>
0: Well, it's lucky that you were on the TV last week then, Ben. You you were a bit of a a hero on the TV. And I had a question about... Because you were on the TV, I think it was Patrick Christus uh show you were talking about this letter that had been written by dame carolyn dinnage yeah dinnage right. uh last last week sort of um and as you say on the clip you say you were very concerned that this letter regarding russell brand and and demonet- requesting that various platforms demonetize him you were um, quite rightly saying well we need to to follow due process but i had a question because in that clip we'll put it we'll put a link to it in the um in the show notes afterwards, in that clip, you made reference to something called an act of attainder. Oh yes, which is a phrase I hadn't ever come across because I'm ignorant. But I was I was going to ask you, Ben, what is an act of attainder, and whatever happened to them, and do we need to bring them back? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yes, I, I this wasn't too obscure a reference. Um, but but so, yeah, so what happened was when when this MP wrote this letter saying that Russell Brand. Um, it needs to be demonetized by rumble and tiktok and whoever else um it struck me as being just like an act of attainder which is a a piece of legislation that um i think they were still used into the 1800s the early 19th century um and it was basically a vote on a a bill that would then strip a named individual or individuals of their titles their land and indeed sentence them to uh to punishment including death um mm-hmm. and so it was a way of the legislature punishing somebody without having due process without a trial um or anything else and so it just struck me it's been quite a similar idea that a, a member of parliament the yeah. chair of a select committee would be writing a letter calling for uh russell brown to be punished without due process having taken place um w- which i thought was quite an unsettling and quite a startling mm-hmm. development um but they're in popular culture they are used in game of thrones so if you're a game of thrones viewer you will you will see in season one um ned stark attaints a knight whose name i can't remember who's been chopping the heads off peasants and, and various other unsavory types of behavior um so there is some so that's pop- what
0: one does one attaints. that's You'll how taint. one uh Yes. Uh, makes this happen. Yeah, and if you're the recipient, uh, you have been attainted. You have been attainted. Well, I, I did a little bit of Googling after I heard you on TV, Ben, and I saw, you're right, it, it, William and William and Mary, it gets mentioned at the time of that, gets mentioned in Ireland. It also gets mentioned relating to the, uh, as one of the drivers of the revolutionaries in the Revolutionary War. Yes. That's uh, right. At the time of George III. So there's a lot of reference of around the sort of the end of the eighteenth, as you say, in the beginning of the even the beginning, of, as you say, the nineteenth century. Uh, but it's actually quite hard to get your head round what was happening. So that explanation you've just given is is perfect, and I don't think we should bring them back. To your point on the TV, they are they are the very um, antithesis of uh, of citizens' rights, aren't they? Property yeah. rights and, and well, that it, sort of thing.
1: It pains me to say this, but the American revolutionaries were right on this one <laughs> point. I grant them well, this one point. <laughs> yeah, i <act laughs> retained it. Not everything else, thing. everything yeah. else in Philadelphia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was a problem. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I remember being that. told by a uh, four-star general. I don't know if I've if we've mentioned this on the podcast, but I was I was giving a, a talk in uh, New Orleans um, on uh, it was interesting. It was when I was working in insurance. It was on what's the impact of Brexit on ins- on insurance. Mm. And the uh, four-star general who had helped to clean up New Orleans after the uh, Hurricane Katrina in 2005 happened to be doing the keynote address Dress at the conference and i was sat with one of my colleagues a couple of us who traveled from the uk and he was pointing out this he was talking about george washington and he was they, you know talking about um, i think the famous picture of george washington crossing the river with the flag to fight the mm. brits to fight them to fight us away it was a key a key moment in the revolutionary war and, and at this point the four-star general stopped and said are there any brits in the audience <laughs> and my my little poor reluctantly, when I mean, this is a four star general who has dealt with um, uh, civil unrest after Katrina 2005. So you don't really want to put yourself in the firing line in, in any no. sense. I put my paw up in the, in the air, as did my colleague sat next to me. And he rounded on us and said, get over it. <laughs> I, said, I, I said nothing. I'm, I'm just sitting here quietly, and you're just by being British. I had to get over the Revolutionary War, so uh, I was put in my place. Wait, this is the strange thing: is that there's a really
1: funny meme. If you've watched Mad Men, of of Don Draper, incredibly handsome, urbane, charming, successful man. He's he's in a lift next to this sort of, d- sort of dweeby colleague, and the dweeby colleague is saying, um, "I feel sorry for you." And Don Draper replies, I don't think about you at all. And that is Britain's view of the American Revolutionary War. We just don't think about it at all. We just don't care about it. It's a sideshow before the Napoleonic Wars. Um, And obviously George III was quite upset about it. Um, But it, it really just is not part of
0: our understanding of history. It's not part of the popular imagination I don't think. Um, it's not. July the 4th comes and goes and we don't really notice it and interestingly Thanksgiving for a long time was was uh, totally silent in the UK around the time of Thanksgiving. It was only when I started working with, um, I had multiple American colleagues and they would suddenly disappear on a Thursday and a Friday in November and I would, would say well what is this Thanksgiving thing and, and that was entirely new to me as well. Sadly we've we've got, uh, we've got a Halloween and Black Friday, very much on the calendar in the UK as much as in the uh, uh, US now. Uh, So it is changing a bit, but you're right. We're fairly silent on a lot of it. I remember that film, The Madness of King George, I Which was that. always labelled the madness of King George, not the madness of King George the Third, to make it clear that there wasn't a first and a second <laughs> film. Um, and right the way through that, as you say, King George says, oh, the colonies, the colonies. And I think it's Pitt the Younger at some point says, I think they call themselves America now. And so there's a reluctance from King George himself. Yeah. <laughs> even when he's in his right mind. Even when he's in his right mind. Um, but anyway, we're, we're chit-chatting away about history. And... Um, we need to talk about one of one something you've been heavily involved in, um, yeah. Ben, which is uh, a, a big win for the FSU Colonel Doctor Kelvin Wright. Do you yeah, want to tell, so tell us about that one?
1: I will. So we're staying on on a military theme, um, and listeners to the podcast will remember, and readers of newspapers will recall. The case of uh, now Dr Kelvin Wright, an NHS uh, consultant who's worked in intensive care for decades, who was an army reservist, who rose to the rank of colonel, was the commanding officer of the 306th Hospital Support Regiment, uh, served in Afghanistan for two tours, um, and it's worth saying just just on that point. I mean, you know, I've said that and that's one sentence he served in Afghanistan. What he was doing in Afghanistan was going on the medical evacuation helicopters, i.e. if a patrol had been blown up or shot at by the Taliban um, and there were injured soldiers, gravely injured soldiers, um, he would be on the helicopter flying to the front lines to go and try and save the lives of those soldiers. I mean, for those of us in the civilian world, one just cannot imagine work that harrowing terrifying and so on um Mm. so that's what he was doing as as a reservist as a reservist so in in addition to his career in the nhs now he then in may contacted the free speech union because he had shared a post on facebook uh quoting helen joyce the uh, gender critical campaigner and author saying that men cannot become women words to that effect um and as a result of that He received a complaint from another officer and was incredibly, was then investigated by the army for making this comment, sharing this comment on Facebook. Um, And we now have the very good news that he has been completely cleared in that investigation, which of course should never have taken place. Um, it, Mm. It fell so far below the threshold. Um, and the other point that's worth making is the investigation, um, was under the the army's rubric of major administrative action. So it, it was not, this was not a trivial process. It is a process that has really serious repercussions, including demotion or loss of seniority, um, as possible penalties. So it's a really serious process. Um, and as soon as he learned that he was going to be, um, investigated over this complete rubbish, um, he resigned as a point of principle, as a matter of honor. He said that um, th- th- this is just absolutely unjustifiable um, and I'm leaving, which, mm. you know, I mean, so the the fantastic news is that he's been cleared and vindicated, mm. um, but he's had to retire early. The army has lost an immensely dedicated and impressive officer, um, all for the sake of appeasing the same cabal of transgender rights activists in the army as in every other <clears throat> every other sphere of society and and so on and in, in white halls we're going to talk about in a bit um so we're delighted with the result but it, it just should never have happened i mean it's really shocking that it did happen
0: well, i love the uh, uh free speech union um quote that, that obviously we put together where in the last part of that quote we say we will continue to assist Uh, Dr. Wright, and any other service personnel who fall foul of the military's bizarre insistence on enforcing this bizarre dogma. And the repetition of the adjective there, bizarre, is just right. Because the dogma itself is bizarre. We know that, and we talk about that every single week. The transgender activists, the extreme version of this uh, new woke dogma in all of its guises, it's bizarre. Uh, The first chapter of brendan o'neill's book how many times am i going to mention that book i love it it's your bible it's your bible i've got to someone earlier last week i've now got some marmite smeared on it because it's with me all the time you know it's (laughs) it's that kind of book that gets that gets um breakfast dinner and lunch on it because (laughs) because it's with you all the time but his first chapter her penis uh is just spot on because he really is there talking about um, something that's crazy, totally and utterly bizarre, her penis. And he takes it apart in the chapter uh, in the way that only Brendan O'Neill can. And he's quite right to start the book with that, even though it's very jarring as a first chapter, very jarring indeed. But it's spot on because the bizarreness, people will look back in 10 years, they'll look back in 20 years, and think people were really saying this kind of stuff. And at that point, I think uh, uh, Brendan O'Neill would be vindicated. And certainly uh, people like uh, Dr. or Colonel Dr. Kelvin Wright would be vindicated. Uh, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is that the, um, the military's bizarre insistence on this uh, in these strange times that we, we're living through. The military. And I know that we t- we spoke about this last time we we, we discussed um, this case, uh, but yeah, the military, those who are responsible for doing the most astonishing things on the front line in Afghanistan, in various theatres of war, uh, helping defend freedom, defend democracy, defend everything that we hold dear, uh, the military, who who should be the last bastion of of defence, as it were, have 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 have. Gobbled up this bizarre ideology and are insisting on it in this bizarre way. So I I totally agree with you, Ben. Yeah,
1: you know, I mean when you think about what the dem- the demand was of the British military and Arab military generally in um, in the war on terror, it, it's to it's to go and be soldiers in the most unpredictable and awful guerrilla conflict, while also building schools and re-engineering civil society and and being approachable and being policeman like figures in in these remote villages and so on so you've got all of that already and then now oh by the way you also have to believe in x y and z that trans rights activists lot are on about um it's just an impossible cocktail
0: um completely completely loopy um and it's not the priority of the Taliban, is it? Let's face it. And I'm no, not sure, sure it was not. the priority of Saddam Hussein. And I'm certainly not sure it's the priority in, in multiple theatres at war. And the point
1: that, that Dr. Wright, as he now is, um, retired colonel Wright, um, makes is that this is not just about his case or the fact he's been vindicated. It's also mm-hmm. about um, the position of career personnel and officers um, a- across The armed forces beyond the army um who are in a position where they just don't know if they can express a view in their private lives about about this issue and if they're going to be harassed or victimized because like the majority of the population they hold gender critical views of one sort or another so you know he was in a position where he was a reservist he 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 didn't have to Pick this battle he could have he could have just sort of swallowed it and not made a fuss about it and but instead he said no this is a this is an attack on my honor I'm not going to stand it i'm resigning um, and I'm going to make as much noise about this as possible and defend the rights of basically people lower
0: down the food chain um, who, who who shouldn't be targeted you know it does remind us of that um, the poisonous toxic effect of um, not speaking up when things that are happening around you that are crazy and or or worse sort of going along with things you don't believe in um, which is often the easier way out but I think we've spoken about it before It, it ruins you as a as a person it takes away your sense of integrity and completeness and wholeness if you are on the one hand saying this is me and on the other, you're you're kind of having to pretend a whole different section of yourself just so that you don't get into trouble. And 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 as you say, Colonel Colonel Wright essentially said, I, I can't do that. Um, but yeah. the 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 numerous people left in the army and other armed and other parts of the armed forces have those decisions to make for themselves, don't they? And it's not an easy one to take. It's not an easy one to regain that wholeness and that integrity. Uh, And to take the risk of regaining that wholeness and that integrity, because it does come with consequences. Um, But it's it's drip, 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 drip. Toxic poison. If you will not um, sort of present yourself to the world as a whole person, and you're having to hide a big piece of yourself and what you really believe, it it doesn't. Uh, No one wins in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And it it takes a lot of courage and and also luck to be in a position where
1: where you can. You can survive that fight as well, um, but it's not just yeah. a one-off. And yeah. and the point that that Dr. Wright has made to me time and time again, when we've been speaking over the, over the summer, um, it, it, is that it's all about defending other people and the rights of other people as well. It's not just about winning his case. And we've seen from the other services as well. We we had a story in I think it was in the Express about the uh, Royal Navy about six weeks ago, two months ago, something like that. Um, and we saw material that had been displayed as training material, this is, um, on the aircraft Mm. carriers and fleet-wise training um, that that was being distributed that was absolutely unhinged. I mean, it had the full spectrum of um, gender, identity... jargon and so on um that have been plucked straight from california man. yeah well, so what so would you department uh, the gen yeah and the the, the gender bread person i correct you tom the gender bread person Sorry. was uh, was there as well <laughs> yeah and so this is you know this is training being used in the royal navy at a time where there's there's a, not a trivial prospect within this century the royal navy is going to be fighting a major war yeah. in the
0: pacific well, my, my, my question is, Ben, th- th- this ideology, as you say, is all over the, the, the forces, as we, the Navy, all over the boats, um, or rather the ships. I never, I never know which. Sometimes I get told to call them boats when I call them ships, and sometimes I get called to call them ships when I, when I call them boats. Um, Tom, this is shocking. This is embarrassing. Strict rules <laughs> around what's what in the Navy. Anyway, is it because um, the armed forces are part of the civil service that this has come down um is that the link or is it is it is it something else i think it's it's just that there has been a
1: focus on well i think probably it's from reducing homophobia isn't it that there's been this this perception that needs to be an exclusive culture that um homophobic bullying in particular needs to be rooted out um and also um you know likewise there's been a parallel effort to make sure that that um, women are safe within the armed forces and are respected um so all that stuff's very commendable um as it would be if it, if the discussion about trans service personnel was just about protecting them from bullying or harassment service or that none of this is contentious i don't think um yeah. but because yeah. the um lgb has been hijacked by tqia plus um i think those initi- initiatives have been used as a bit of a trojan horse to also shoehorn in a load of gender identity theory as well and so what i think started as a commendable effort to make sure that the army was inclusive in a you know in the original sense of the word has, in, has instead mutated into something mm. where it's all about no this you must believe in this set of ideas um, and if
0: you don't you're suspect the reason, Because the reason I mentioned the civil service is this is also the week where there was a letter sent by 42 staff from the civil service across 16 departments um, saying that this gender ideology we're talking about in the Navy and this gender ideolo- ideology that we're talking about in the Army has permeated the civil service more broadly. Um, and, uh, again, I wonder whether it's the connection with the Ministry of Defence or, as you say, it is... It is a sort of ground, a grassroots movement that is doing its thing in the Navy, doing its thing in the Army and doing its thing across Whitehall and other departments. And I have a suspicion it's probably a bit of both. But what struck me about that article and it, appeared, it was originally leaked to The Telegraph, this letter that was written by 42 staff about the capture of the civil service by this ideology, uh, was, yeah. was how brave they were and uh, for 42 members of staff to put their name to the letter. In, in the current environment, that's a very brave thing to do. And I, I, I actually looked at the, the, some of the media on the flip side, some of the response to this letter. They make the point that the 42 staff who wrote this letter uh, are a minuscule figure compared with the nearly half a million people employed by the UK civil service. And I think, well, of course they're minuscule. Of course, they're minuscule. The risk you take by putting your head above the parapet and saying, I think that the civil service has been captured. I don't think the civil service is impartial anymore. And I think we have a problem is, as we know, huge. And members of the scene, which is a civil service um, gender-critical staff group, scene scene in the city. Oh, sorry, seen in the civil service. Uh, That group being a member is a tough old game at the moment, and, and the letter mentioned various training sessions where the most awful uh, um, accusations and labels were being put on staff members who happened to be representing scene, which is, as I say, a gender critical supporting group. Uh, the normal uh, kind of slurs on people's character. So when, when, when an organization like Pink News says, oh, it's a minuscule number, I think, well, actually, 42 is quite a lot. Uh, but yeah, that 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 I thought was quite interesting is that's happened the same week uh, that this has happened with, uh, with with Colonel Wright. There's so much to say about about
1: that topic. The thing that strikes me most importantly about it is the fact that presumably it is not the wish of the elected British government that this ideology is cascading throughout society. Maybe that's naive, but it doesn't seem to me that that's that's the wish of the Conservative government. Um, and yet it, it's like the, the the neural pathways between the brain and then what the state is actually doing have been severed. And mm. that at every level throughout society, and this is something we've spoken about before, Tom, um, I'm sure you have mm. a situation where quangos and these autonomous agencies and so on are off basically doing their own thing. And so the, the decisions that, that actually affect people's lives are being taken far from Far downstream of what the British government wants or says it wants, um, and to take a non-culture war example of this, there's been a bit of a row over the last week about the um, the role of the Office for Budget Responsibility, and uh, to what extent. The power of chancellors to set budgets should be curtailed or influenced or uh, or restricted by independent advice and forecasts. And a lot of people feel quite strongly that the ABR does a terrible job of making these predictions, mm. um, and that it is not, in fact, possible to assemble a neutral body of experts because they're always going to bring their own biases to the table. Um, and so it seems to be a bit a bit like that, where at every level of society, you you, you we've got to the point where. Um, it, it is these agencies and regulators and so on that are actually setting the rules that affect people's lives and not the British government, which can make as much noise or as little noise as it wants about these issues. But,
0: but the neural pathways are cut. I heard a few commentators over the weekend say that the time may have come because the civil service and the permanent secretary, they, they, they don't change. So they can see a government in and they can see a government off. And that is their great, that's the great power dynamic, really. If the civil service decides to resist the government, it just needs to hold out long enough. And a new government will come along or a new prime minister will come along or a new minister will come along in that department. And therefore, the question immediately arises, well, maybe the time has come for a sort of Dominic Cummings kind of uh, overhaul. Of the civil service, whereby we we do look to um, to change these permanent secretaries, to change these leaders uh, more regularly and more in line with the government of the day, Uh, and really from sort of a root and branch change of 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 where where these departments are and how they're running as of today. We like we still like to we slightly got this nostalgia, I think, of the yes minister and yes prime minister days. Well, I think those days are, are long gone. It, it's, not, it's not like that now. Um, the mandarins of Whitehall are, are just hanging in there until they, they, they see a government that they, they can support. And if it's a government they don't support, they won't. Uh, which is astonishing to say, really, uh, when you think this is the same civil service that ran the British Empire uh, you know, quite effectively, with very few, relatively speaking, is now, is now failing in these ways. I think if you look at this from the perspective of
1: the ordinary voter, so let's say you are a low-ranking civil servant and you are concerned about the spread of teaching about critical race theory or gender ideology and the mandatory nature of that training and the biased nature of that training. I mean the first thing I suggest you do would be contact the free speech union. But Let's say you don't know that's an option and you're concerned about pushing back against this and you're worried about doing so internally at work. So you write to your Member of Parliament. Well, let's say your Member of Parliament agrees with you, which, of course, is not at all guaranteed. And let's say you then write a letter to a minister. And let's say the minister also um, feels sympathetic towards your concerns. What power does the minister have to actually address them? they can cajole, they can suggest, they can write letters, they can give instructions, they can do all sorts of uh, things by way of um, criticising. But in terms of giving a direct instruction to a quasi-autonomous, non-governmental organisation, or even the civil service, um, or say within the NHS, or whatever, any of these institutions that all of us deal with every, every day and week, um, the minister seems to me an almost powerless figure.
0: And Jacob Rees found that, that, didn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, And what it says about democracy is that actually the feedback mechanism between the ordinary voter and us expressing our wishes, and then that translating into what the British state is doing or trying to
0: get the British state to change what it's doing, I mean, that feedback mechanism just doesn't work anymore. You know, they're trying to hit. It's like running down a hill, isn't it? When the brakes have been broken or the fluid, the brake fluids leaked in those old films from yeah. the nineteen sixties. You you put your foot on the brake, nothing happens, and then you're then you're yeah. steering madly, trying to trying to ensure you don't go off a cliff. And it often feels that's the way the, the government is operating, steering madly, somewhat out of control because they're actually not in control. And when you said that, Ben, it reminded me of um, when uh, Ronald Reagan came in 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 nineteen eighty. Uh, he came in on a ticket of sorting out the air traffic control uh, strikes. And he did exactly what he said. It it was pretty radical. He fired them all yeah, and uh, started again. I don't actually know how that worked in practice because I can't imagine they closed US airspace. So how you manage to, whether you fire them in waves or or have some sort of a backup. Um, But yeah, you you as a government have to... um, get the mandate, and then you have to act on the mandate. And the frustration is that we don't seem to have enough courage to act with real strength, with an iron fist, Um, and um, for all sorts of reasons. For all sorts of reasons, the the way that our society's changed, the way that we are uh, a lot more concerned about you yeah, said so people's rights and, and such like just means governments can't act can't operate and, and as I say Sir Jacob Rees-Mogg found that when he said please come back to the office And I don't think maybe a dribble came back, but in in essence he was ignored So it is a real problem, and I don't I don't know what the solution is other than real strong um, Leadership
1: well the question once again is who governs Britain,
0: isn't it? Which manifesto was that was that 1979 or was that earlier? I think it was earlier. I think it was earlier.
1: I can do some research now while we while we're speaking to try and bring this in as the answer to that question.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it was in the I think it was the early 70s. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It might yeah. even have been Edward Heath. Um... Well, on while we're in in the sort of political realm and having a sort of conversation, we could talk about the Online
0: Safety Bill, couldn't we, which has passed. Yes. It is now it is now passed its final parliamentary debate and is is about to receive royal assent. And it's not great news, I don't think, for free speech. I think um, we we we've all, on the free speech side of the argument, been frustrated with how complicated it's got, how jumbled up. Everyone was trying to put everything into the online safety bill. At some point, it's turned into this sort of uh, you know free for all at, at, at different stages of the uh, passing through Parliament, through the Commons and the Lords. But I think I think the fact it's gone through. Yes it isn't great news but there are there is some, there are some positive elements to it and there are two things to draw out I think the first is the free speech union and, and thank you to our listeners and all of our members for for helping to make a difference a positive difference on the final shape of the online safety bill we really have Made a difference. So, four things uh, to draw out on that. First of all, the obligation of social media companies to address, in inverted commas, so called legal but harmful com- content has now been removed because we knew that to address legal but harmful content would effectively mean uh, these companies would, would remove it. That would be what addressing it means. So, we got, we got yeah. rid of that um, word, uh, that's, that's gone. Uh, the second thing is that the new harmful communications offence, uh, which could have been seen people jailed for two years for sending or posting a message with the intention of causing psychological harm amounting to at least serious distress, that harmful communications offence that's been scrapped. So another win. Uh, the third thing is we've actually bumped up the wording on the free speech side of the of the uh, of the bill. So that instead of saying uh, that the original, putting an original duty on social media companies to have regard for freedom of expression, that's been bumped up to they must have particular regard. And also the free speech union was fairly um, early on awake to this issue of um, who would actually be the moderator. And the locus of responsibility or the locus of responsibility for online safety has shifted in the final bill from a sort of paternalistic, from the paternalistic providers to empowered users. So companies now have to say what tools they're going to make available so that users can act as their own content moderators. So that, that's all really thank you to, to everyone who's been involved in uh, lobbying, writing to their MP, uh, and, and getting involved in this debate and discussion. That makes some real difference. But the battle goes on. Um, yes, it's hit the statute book, but the, the, the UK's new regulator for online safety is about to start drafting guidance and a set of standards as to how they will offer users the option to filter out content. And uh, that will be very interesting. As we've seen with NCHI, it's sort of non-crime hate incident guidance. It's very important uh, that that get drawn up thoughtfully uh, and in a way that doesn't mean that we default back to some of the things we've actually managed to get out of the bill uh, the most obvious one is that that social media providers may put their settings by default into a sort of safe mode by which lawful but awful I love that phrase lawful but awful content uh, which of course is a subjective term uh, will, will not actually users won't see it because their default uh, settings will be a sort of safe mode and unless they deliberately go out and go through the settings and change them uh they just won't see content anymore um because providers take the the sort of safe option of putting things into this default mode um and the last thought i had ben before i sort of see what you see what you feel about it is um There was a new phrase I saw in this week's newsletter that I hadn't come across before called choice architecture. Uh, Mm. And the more I think about it, the more I think that's quite a a powerful idea, uh, which is the way you structure your online platform, the way you structure people's access to your online platform automatically nudges them in a certain direction. And social media companies will very easily be able to put the settings and switch the dials so that users are nudged towards an, uh, towards the safest material and away from what we could call the lawful but awful content. And as I was thinking about that idea of choice architecture. It's not just online. It's not just in the structure of a web page. I thought of the supermarket aisle, you, you know, that sort of situation where you, you see a friend in the supermarket aisle in aisle one, and then you however much you try then to um to move around the supermarket without bumping into them again and having an awkward moment you keep bumping into them and that's because the (laughs) supermarket's in complete control really of what you see next and where you go next and so you you keep bumping into the same people because you're all being nudged around the supermarket in the same way that was a sort of I suppose that's rather a silly example, but this choice architecture idea works in the physical world. It works in the online world, and uh, it's something that we need to be very alert to. I think. And that architecture is now going to be
1: pretty fundamentally different with the Online Safety Act, as we'll have to get used to calling it. Yes, of course. Um, in place, and with safety and inverted commas being the default setting for users. Um, so, and of course, you know, safety, not not in the actual sense, the actual meaning of the word, but in the sense used by activists of meaning, um, you know, something that might trouble me is is therefore making me unsafe, mm. um, which on on a similar theme, I think that brings us actually quite neatly onto our next story, which is about the director of Don't Dividers, uh, Alka Sagal Cuthbert. Um, this episode actually is a bit of a good news, bad news, good news sandwich, isn't it?
0: Yeah, what, 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 those are called a star, star, star sandwich normally, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the next bit of good news, although it, it sounds
1: bad but bear with me, um, is that an apology has now been issued to uh, Alka after she was no-platformed by a business called Rethinking Education. Um, and uh, she'd been due to speak at their conference that was taking place this weekend, just gone on Saturday, uh, I think the 23rd. Mm. Um and there were complaints, I think, by seven attendees that her presence um, as a director of Don't Dividers at this conference would make them feel, you guessed it, unsafe. Um, and she was disinvited and a pretty mealy-mouthed statement was put up, um, which I will quote from in a moment because it's absolutely... Um, absolutely
0: there were odd. two statements, weren't there, uh, Ben? There was, two So this is the first yeah. statement, is that right? on friday yeah, the 22nd so the, the yeah the first statement and
1: i think actually i can't find it on the on the link it used to be on but anyway the second statement they have now apologized um and we could chalk it up as victory The fsu had written to um rethink education at the end of last week protesting this no platforming um and uh, I'll quote: We apologise to Dr. Cuthbert, her colleagues, and supporters for any and all implications this decision has had. It was the one of the points we made in our letter was saying: Well, if you're going to publicly say that she's going to make people unsafe by her presence, you've got to justify such an extraordinary claim. You can't just throw that into the into the public domain. So this is an unsafe and dangerous person without any factual basis for for claiming it so we're pleased that she's got an apology obviously she should have spoken at the at the conference it should never have happened um but it does show that after a big backlash on social media against this decision and uh and after our letter as well that um eventually she's got the apology that, that she's been owed um and hopefully she will speak to the fsu at an fsu event before long and we well, that would be amazing
0: this. That would be amazing. I, I think um, there are a couple of ironies here. The first irony I, I thought in the apology was uh, uh, the feedback from, the, from last year's conference. So the 2022 conference was the only thing that was missing was conflict. Uh, and at, <laughs> the first, at the first sign of conflict or, or, or concern, uh, Alka gets disinvited. And you think, okay... So are we really addressing that feedback? That was the first thing I thought. The second thing I think is Alka was the only person on that panel event who was a person of color. All the other people were white. And it was about inclusion. It was about um, addressing uh, racial identity issues. And Alka was disinvited, even though she was going to be the only person of color. There was a second irony there. but the, the, in the first statement, there was that comment that said, when someone tells you that they feel unsafe, you need to listen. And I, I think, mm. yeah, if they're about to be hit over the head with a hammer, fine. Yeah, or something's falling from the, from the ceiling. There's physical safety. But for an adult... Psychological safety, I'm not persuaded at all. And and I'm I'm sure many of our listeners are not persuaded at all. And my understanding is is that we're talking here about a lot of people who are involved in education. So a lot of them are teachers. And I'd love to see them get concerned about psychological safety in in the classroom because children are known to find that psychological weakness they're very very instinctive at this they find a psychological mm. weakness in their teacher then they find it and they put the knife in and they twist it a little bit left and they twist it a little bit right yeah that that is the in the nature of being a teacher from what i from what i understand of children you know more than i do ben but uh, that's in the nature of being a teacher
1: i mean it's one thing to bear in mind is is that when we're talking about these things and we're talking about the conference organizer whoever they obviously wanted to hear from her yeah and then they're put in a situation where they've got a, a bunch of people coming forward saying oh we've got you know concerns we feel unsafe and blah blah blah," and it's all a bit vague um and there is a feeling then on the organizer that that is in some way representative of a substantial body of opinion and this is basically true of every cancellation we've dealt with where there's a there's a kind of backlash against somebody whether it's a speaker or a fellow employee or an academic or whoever Um, and what's really important to demonstrate is actually fine you might upset some activists but they are not representative of anything beyond what other activists like them think they're not representative of what the population think or what the average attendee of this conference would have thought about alka it they're entirely heterogeneous they're entirely representative of and only of themselves Um, and so i think people who are organizing events like this need to have the confidence that if somebody says you know oh wow 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 i feel unsafe they need a slap with a wet fish and they need to be told to pull themselves together Um, and if they don't want to come that's their choice um, but you, you can't take it seriously. It, it, this is just kind of playground nonsense. It just cannot be taken seriously. And so I think organisers do need the confidence to say, well, I'm sorry for that, but I I don't care. I just don't care.
0: And the 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 reasoning, the other reasoning, is often it's also very last minute. Dot com that the the complaints come in a day or two before the conference or a day or two, and we're seeing this with the cancellation of uh, venues, in comedy venues and such like. Mm, It comes in the last moment, in last moment or or so. And again, I think the organisers of these events need to need to have anticipated this well ahead of time and worked out their response well ahead of time and therefore not be so frightened 24 hours yes. or 48 hours or 72 hours before the event when things that they hadn't, hadn't expected as complaints from, from various activists coming in probably in a coordinated way and there ought to be in the battle plan for these events there ought to be an expectation of we will get coordinated protests of some shape or form that we should be expecting that we should be for um, armed, fore, forewarned is forearmed. We should be ready for this. I think take take the LGB alliance for example. The LGB alliance knows 100% that when it puts on its conference, it's going to have activists outside trying to get in, maybe disrupt things and such like. Yeah. We, we we can't have organisers of events not expecting this to happen because it will. And therefore, when they're when they're inviting people, setting it up, um, we, we've got to get away from this naivety, I suppose.
1: Yeah, you need to put some thought into it. And also, the FSU can help you. I mean, if you're. Usually, we're helping people who've been cancelled or are threatened with being cancelled. But we can just as easily help if you think one of your speakers is going to face a campaign like this and you want help just making sure that your event can go ahead as you want it to go ahead. That's the kind of thing we can help with, too. Well, Tom, and I don't know if you've got any further thoughts about anything we've talked about. But, you know, actually, that's, that's been a pretty relatively speaking upbeat episode because we've had mm. a good outcome for dr Calvin wright we've had in the end an apology for uh, Alka Scal cuthbert of yep. don't dividers um we've managed to knock out some of the nastiest bits of the online safety act um and the fourth item we talked about the woke takeover of whitehall um perhaps it's worth just mentioning the case of anna thomas who we spoke about um when she won her settlement, a substantial amount of money that she won. Um, And she was in the Department of Work and Pensions and had uh, raised concerns about the politicisation of what was going on within the civil service. Um, And we were able to win a big victory for her. So on each of these things, I hope we're showing that um, the Free Speech Union and other groups as well, indeed, are turning the tide. And uh, the way to do that is to win lots of these little tactical battles and bit by bit, to mix metaphors, you can, you can turn the cruise ship around and change. <laughs> cruise and change. boat. That was, a that was a hopefully muddled segment, wasn't it? Hope,
0: hopefully, no. hopefully muddled, rather. Um, this
1: is because I have my cold. Not my at IQ all. That makes
0: that the, you, what you're saying is there's much to take away that's positive, despite how it might feel at times. And in yes. fact, one thing that uh, related to uh, Colonel Doctor Kelvin Wright, and I never know whether it's Dr. Colonel, Colonel Doctor, Ben, you're going to have to tell me. It's, well, I think, I think actually in
1: the army, the custom would just be, I mean, correct me, anyone listening to this if I'm wrong, but I think probably you just say doctor. Do you? So I, don't think, I, I don't think medical officers are usually referred to by the military rank. I see. I might be wrong, I but see. I think that's
0: the custom. Are you sure you're not just thinking of the Roman Empire? But anyway, <laughs> but, but after that um, win for Dr. Kelvin Wright, Uh, A friend of the Free Speech Union, and in fact, someone on our advisory councillor, someone who will be very well known to our listeners, Andrew Doyle, he tweeted out uh, yesterday, actually, so the 24th of September, Sunday, the 24th of September, as Andrew Doyle, not as Titania. um, He he tweeted out, Those who scoffed when the Free Speech Union was established by Toby Young in 2020 look pretty foolish nowadays. This organisation has repeatedly proven its worth by defending countless victims of cancel culture who would otherwise have lost their livelihoods, I would advise everyone to show their support by joining. I mean, there's no better advert there, Ben, is there, than, than what Andrew's done for us there in, in, in underlining what yeah. um, <clears throat> protection and result the free speech union can get for individuals uh, when they're going through a nightmare scenario. And if you
1: think we are just now reading up praise about ourselves, (laughs) we are, of course. But none of that's possible without our members. Um, And so if you listen to this podcast regularly and you're concerned about these issues, please do join the Free Speech Union um, because every membership, even if you don't ever actually need our help yourself, it does mean that there's a dedicated team of people here who can help people like Dr. Wright, who can help Alka, who can help Anna Thomas and so on. Um, so it really does make a difference. Well, I think that's all from me. I'm yep. uh, I'm becoming inarticulate,
0: and I need to return to my sick bed. Well, I hope you feel better soon, Ben. But thank you to everyone thank who's you. listened, and uh, we will speak to you next week. Goodbye.